Thanks for joining us online for today's message from our Sunday morning service, where we are learning how to make disciples who love God, love others, and serve the world. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged. For more information about Wilmot Center Missionary Church, go to wcmc.ca. Now prepare your hearts for what God wants to speak to you today. Those of you who don't know, my name is uh, James Ferber, and I'm the Next Generation Director, and this is one of my favorite Sundays as um, the youth are able to be a part of the service. You're able to see some of our leaders, our up-and-coming leaders, and um, isn't it wonderful the, the boldness that they show coming up here and um, serving you and just seeing their gifts and talents used. And I want to point out a couple other people too. Um, Lynette Tilton, her decorations committee, they've put this together and they keep uh, doing a fabulous job at uh, preparing us for the different seasons and the different series that we're going through. And then you get to enjoy out there too the uh, hospitality team and everything that they've been doing um, in preparing um, a special meal for you so we can celebrate and spend time together as we launch into spring, although someone didn't tell spring. Um, it doesn't quite look like spring out there, um, but uh, it's... It's just an enjoyable, wonderful time um, as we see new growth, hopefully, soon, and um, as we get to see our youth up here and participating. And I get to see that every week, and it's wonderful to see their gifts and talents. And you really have a gifted, talented um, generation coming up, but also they have a real passion and heart for God. So that's really exciting. So thank you, youth, for being a part of that. And thank you, um, Melissa, for really giving leadership to that team. Um, My introduction, my first part of my sermon was done for me. I was going to talk about some of the changes that we've been going through as a church. And just about uh, as we embrace the new and as Randall has come in and just how God is a God of change. He was always bringing something new. He doesn't change, but he leads us through many changes. And um, it's been such a... Change is never ending. Um, We just had our third child. And um, what a season of change that was. I thought kind of had things down after two, and then you get thrown another curveball. Every child is so different. Um, you know, one of them loves to sleep, one of them doesn't. Um, one of them eats wonderfully, the other one doesn't. Um, you know, they all have different dispositions, and it's such an interesting journey with each child, and I think, um, you know, we all have our own different journey, and God probably thinks the same thing with us. <laughs> he looks at us and goes, wow, it's so, so different, but he, I know he takes great pleasure in that because he made us, and he made us all so unique and different. And um, so we've had a a fun time going through the the winter, um, season of colds and sickness, but also a season of new things as my wife has come back to work. And uh, so it's been really stretching. And so there's this one song that kept coming up in my mind, and I'm going to base a lot of my message today on a a song that God kept, um, that he really ministered to me through. And I think it's a song that many of you will be familiar with. I know a lot of the youth are. Um, it's a song by, for King and Country. And uh, it's called Burn the Ships. And um, I'm going to talk a little bit about that. I'm going to share a couple stories from Scripture that really um, applied to this for me. And I think can be very applicable for you in the phase that we're going through as a church, but also in our personal lives. And uh, I want to share a couple of the lines from this song. And this is the main chorus part. And uh, this is what it says in it. So for King and Country, our um, Christian band, uh, very well known. They're at, um, they're at Kingdom Bound. They're at uh, Wonder Jam at um, uh, Canada's Wonderland. And um, if you haven't heard any of their, th- their music, I would encourage you to listen to it. Just really strong, God-centered lyrics. So here's the chorus. 
We've got to burn the ships, cut the ties, send a flare into the night, say a prayer, turn the tide, dry your tears and wave goodbye, step into a new day. We can rise up from the dust and walk away. We can dance upon your heartache, yeah. So light a match, leave the past, burn the ships, and don't you look back. And so as I was going through a season of change, and God was stretching me and pushing me in a new direction, um, I was so encouraging. I don't know, that just that song, I'd play it each morning as I would drive into work or wherever I was going, and it was just so encouraging. Um, just to think that your past doesn't have to dictate your future. We have a God who steps in there with us, and he will walk us through it. So there are two stories I wanted to share with you from Scripture that God really put on my heart. And um, the first one, well, first let me just share a little bit about what does burn the ship mean? Where did the idea come from? And I think it's a really cool story. So burn the ship, the idea for this song was originated from something that happened in 1519. That year, Hernan Cortez set sail to Veracruz, Mexico with his crew. Cortez was about to send his armies against a powerful foe whose men outnumbered his own. He loaded the soldiers into boats, sailed to the enemy's country, unloaded the soldiers and equipment. His men were frightened by the new situation and talked amongst themselves about sailing back to Spain. Cortez then gave the order to burn all of their ships. Addressing the men before the battle ahead, he said to them, You see the boats going up in smoke. That means we cannot leave these shores alive unless we win. We now have no choice. We win or we perish. Now they won. Talk about motivation. Um, But I think far too often as we step into something new and as we press forward into things, we second-guess ourselves. Or maybe we second-guess God. And I think far too often there's an escape route to us, the old, the known, the past. And it's so easy to fall back into old habits and old routines, and it can hold us back from pressing on. So the word that God is really putting on my heart for today is press on, press on. Been big changes, new things. God's birthing new things in your hearts, your families, in the church, in our communities, I think he's really, there's an excitement even on his heart and a joy, and it's been birthing in us, and I can see it. But press on, press on. And it was funny, um, even just this morning as I came, came up here, Mark said, stay the course, and that's the word for my, my message, is just press on, press on. So I want to share a story from Scripture. I'm going to talk about two things that often hold us back from pressing on. So one of the things that holds us back is we like our past too much. Sometimes we get attached and too comfortable with the way things have been. In a sermon by Steve Furtick that I listened to recently, he talked about what the number one determining factor was for people who are able to step into new things. Now, interesting, it wasn't how hard they tried. It wasn't how complex or well thought out their plan was. It wasn't even how committed they were to their new plan. The number one determining factor was how much they were able to hate the thing they were leaving behind. How much they were able to distance themselves 
from the way things were done in the past. And often that can, it can apply to good things, it can apply to sin even, sinful things in our lives that we haven't learned to hate enough in order to leave behind. It's still a bit of a comfort for us. And so the story I want to talk about today, the first one, is about Lot's wife and about the journey that their family went through. So you may know of that story, and if you do, you know that she was raised in a family in a city known for its sexual depravity. She had to be physically dragged out of her hometown to avoid its imminent destruction. She checked her rearview mirror, she looked back, and she was instantly turned into salt, a pillar of salt. I would say it's pretty high up there on the weird stories of the Bible list. Um, and I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to read that story to you, and I want to talk about some of the lessons that can be gleaned from that and what we, can, what we can take out of that as God is calling us to move into new things. So I'm going to read from, and this won't be up on the screen, because I'm going to read a little bit of a bigger section here. I really want you to hear the whole story before I talk about, about it. Genesis 18, verse 20. It's, I'm going to start there. Then the Lord said, The great outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they've done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. So this is the Lord talking to Abraham. And so Abraham intervenes. His cousin Lot is living there with his family. And Abraham says, Well, Lord, what about if there are some righteous people there? Will you spare them? Will you spare the city because of them? And he starts with 50, and the Lord says yes. And then he says, well, what about if they're only 40 and 30 and 20? And he keeps asking, and he keeps lowering the number. And we read in um, verse 32, Then he said, May the Lord not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. I have one more request. What if only 10 are found there? Would you spare the whole city for just 10? He answered, For the sake of 10, I would not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. So now in chapter 19, we find out what is, were ten found. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting at the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. So Lot was there ready to greet them. But he's really pushing for them to get out of the city square. They said, no, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. And then they called for them to come out so they could make sport of them and um, really just mistreat them and assault them. And they had bad plans for them. So you can see, this is, a, this is an evil city. There's, there's some depravity that has happened here. Now we read in verse 12, The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here? Son-in-law, sons, or daughters? So they pulled him back in. They blinded the people that were coming. And uh, they're saying, it's time to go. So they said, get them out of here, your family, because we're going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-laws who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his son-in-laws thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you'll be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city. 
They told them, flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you'll be swept away. And that's verse 17. I'm going to jump to verse 23. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah. From the Lord out of the heavens, thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities, and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Now it's almost mentioned as an after note, just real quick. And yet, I felt like it was really significant. I felt like that was a really important thing to talk, talk about or dig into or look deeper. And I was wondering, what, what did she just look back? What was, so, what was so wrong with that? What was so harmful about that? And so as I dug into it, um, the Hebrew word actually for look back had a little bit of a stronger meaning to it. And what it meant is she regarded, considered, paid attention to her past, or looked longingly on her past. So in other words, dragged free of her life, set well on her way to freedom, she looked longingly and lingeringly on, lingeringly on her past. And so it goes along with what Chester's word was about breaking free. God has come to break us free. He leads us into freedom, but sometimes we've become too attached without realizing it. We've become a bit of a product of where we've come from. Now, if you've ever driven before, you know you cannot safely navigate the road ahead while looking in the rearview mirror. You are going to crash. I remember my brother Joey, when he was learning how to ride his bike, he was pretty proud of his ability to ride his bike, and he would, start to, he would start to ride it without using his hands, by leaning one way or another, and he could steer his bike that way, and then he started to get pretty uh, bold, and he started to look around, and he would stand and call out to us as he went by, and he was no longer even watching where he was going, let alone not using his hands to steer, and I'm pretty sure you can guess what the end result was. And lucky for him, he missed the oak tree, and he missed the road sign, and he hit a pine tree, which actually was probably the softest landing he could have had. But you can't get to where you're going if you're looking behind. Have you ever fallen so in love with tradition or a way of doing something that you couldn't look ahead and embrace the new that was right before you? So I think a clue to understanding Lot's wife's demise is in what she was turned into. So we think of salt as something that adds flavoring to whatever we're eating, okay? Especially if you love popcorn, you want some salt on there, you want some butter on there. Well, in that time, salt was something that was used to preserve. That's the main use of it. It was a preservative. They didn't have fridges, they didn't have freezers. They needed to preserve their food. Well, what if God had shown mercy to Lot's wife? What if she'd been allowed to flee the wickedness of Sodom to a better place, all the time harboring in her heart a love for her past. The virus of Sodom's wickedness would have gone on with her to her new home, preserved deep within her, waiting its chance to emerge and infect other lives. Rather than allow her to preserve the cherished memory of Sodom in a new place, God preserves her as a pillar of salt. She becomes a memorial for the preservation of evil, a warning to all who might see her frozen in her half-turned gaze of longing. So the problem with her was that Sodom was now in her heart. It wasn't just a place she lived. Not even 25 hour, 12 hours earlier, her daughters had faced the very real prospect of being assaulted or much worse within that city, and yet she looks at it longingly. 
I often think of the frog in hot water. As you heat up the water, the frog is there, and because it happens slowly enough, you don't realize it's happening. The frog doesn't even move. He stays there as the water gets hotter and hotter until the point where he boils to death. And I think it's like that with our culture, too. We have to be very careful. Things change and affect us without us us even realizing it. And just a couple changes, even within our culture, that came to mind when I was thinking about that. Just to illustrate the point that things are changing around us. Um, Who's heard of the Chris Kringle market? The German Christmas market that's held downtown? Well, this past year, there had been something that has happened a lot in the past. Um, Often what they do, different churches do presentations, and there was a church that did a presentation. And um, as a part of it, um, one of the older ladies read the Christmas story, because Chris Kringle market means the Christ child. And then in German. So um, she read the Christmas story of Jesus in German. And uh, this has been done before there. Um, but this year, some of the people working there, they shut off her mic and played music over it. They felt it was offensive. And so that happened right here in our area. And I have a friend who has been going to the malls um, often and will talk with people and pray with them. And he was praying with someone recently at Conestoga Mall, and um, they asked him to. It was, they said, Yeah, I'd love to be prayed for. And a security guard asked him to leave. And um, I mean, these are things that haven't, we haven't had happening in this area before, but the heat's being turned up. The heat's being turned up, and we can be affected by our culture. And God's calling us to move forward, move forward, move into the next, move into what I have for you, and don't get caught looking lingeringly on, back on the past. Don't fall in love with what has been, but I need you to fall in love with what is going to be. So 1 John 2 Verses 15 to 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. That's to be our focus. The things that God has called us to. So our minds can play tricks on us. Um, Our minds are programmed to allow pain and trauma to fade away. Um, Our memory is selective. There are certain things we remember that others don't. And often forgetting things actually enhances the recall of other things. So I'm glad for that. I can only fit so much in my mind. I know there's only so much I can recall. And if I had everything up there, I think I'd get a little cluttered. Um, I'm a typical male. I need compartments, too many things at once, and I'll get distracted. Um, But God's created our minds in a special way to help us so that we can move on from the past. But sometimes, time doesn't heal. We need God to heal. Time helps us. It lessens the blow, but we need God to step in. So the second story I wanted to share, and I'm going to close with that, is, um, I'm not even going to tell you who, I'm just going to, I'm going to start to tell it in a different way and see if you can figure it out as I go along. So I'm going to tell you a story about someone who struggled with his ships. There was a man who was born the youngest of eight brothers. He was the forgotten one. There was some sort of shame that followed him around. It was rumored that he was born out of an adulterous relationship. He felt like an alien among his own brothers. One day, a man of God came knocking at their door. He was knocking, looking for someone who would make a great leader for their country. All eight boys were called out. Well, seven of them. 
His father did not call for him because he called him the worthless one. That day, the man of God selected this youngest, worthless brother to be the next leader of their country. Things were looking up, right? Not quite. This young man would have to prove himself in battle, spend many years as an outlaw running for his life. He lived with other outlaws who threatened to kill him him on more than one occasion. Betrayed by his best friend, and even his own wife was given away to another man at one point. Eventually, this young man would finally become the leader of his country, but there were still many wounds that he carried with him. He would continue to seek happiness, but no matter how many wives or battles he won, he kept trying to fill a void. These wounds would eventually cause him to take another man's wife and conceive a child with her. To cover up his sin, he would have the man killed. Some of you might already have figured out who this man is. He's told it in a little bit of a different way, but it's David from the Bible. King David. This was the man that defeated the giant Goliath in combat. David was a man after God's own heart. However, he never quite figured out how to leave some of the things from his past behind. The hurt still followed him. Because of his poor relationship with his father, he would often even struggle as a father himself. His own sons killed each other, and two of them declared themselves king while he was in fact still king. The family was a mess. There was a struggle with community. The point is, David struggled to function within a community That doesn't mean God couldn't use him. And I think we all need to learn how to function as healthy people within a community because we're called to live in community. And that series we went through was amazing. Just a series on how to be a part of community. But God's really putting my heart, in order to press forward, we have to um, be healed and we have to continue to allow God to speak into our lives and change us from the inside out. He still did great things for God, but like us, he had things from his past he needed to work through. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. So there's that song I was talking about. And I want to end with that song. And I'm just going to read a couple of lines and show you how that walks us through what it means to be healed and how does God actually walk us through some of the hurts of our past. And there's a verse that applied with each line of that song that I read out earlier. And then I'm going to play the song for you. And we're just going to have a little bit of ministry time where you can reflect on it and just pray with God and see how he ministers to you and what areas he highlights in your life that he wants to walk you through and that you still need to um, have his touch in. And just to be totally free, like Chester was saying, God's wanting to break us through of all things. One definition I wanted to mention, too. The definition of a comfort zone is when things feel familiar to us and we are at ease and feel more in control of our environment. So God brings change because he needs to get us out of our comfort zone. As long as we rely on being in control of our environment, we can't fully allow God to be in control. So the first point I want to look at That line, burn the ships, cut the ties. It means end all connections. Draw a line. Psalm 26, 41 says, I do not sit with deceitful men, nor will I go with pretenders. There has to be a line cut at some point in so many areas of your life. You just have to say, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. Burn the ships, cut the ties. 
The second part of the song was, send a flare into the night. We all need help. A ship sends a flare into the sky to let all the other ships nearby know, hey, come on over, we need help. Walk us through this. Help us out with it. Accountability. Community. And we've just walked through a series on that, but as we walk to wholeness, into wholeness as individuals, we need others. We are built and created to be in community. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The next line was, Say a prayer, turn the tide. You need to seek out God's help, move in a different direction. Acts 3.19 says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And when we turn to God and we embrace a new way, he refreshes us, he renews us. He gives us the strength and the power we need to step into those new things. Second Chronicles 7.14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And the next line in the song was, dry your tears and wave goodbye. Stop mourning, say goodbye. Luke 7.13 says, when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, do not weep. When the Lord comes and he touches you and he renews you, we need to stop being emotionally attached and living in the past. We need to embrace the new. He's calling us into a season where we are not held back by the wounds of the past, but we need his touch. And then the last thing is step into a new day. Embrace the new, move forward. And so 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Ephesians 4.24 says, And put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So our ships are those things that we've been traveling on or traveling with that have helped us to get to certain points in our lives. But in order to get into the next area of our life, you have to get off one ship. You have to step onto the land and you can't go back. It'll hold you back. But some of us too, um, we might even have cargo on board that ship that is holding us back. It might be smaller things. And like David, sometimes we don't even recognize what that is. So we need God to speak into that. But also our ships represent the old ways that we can fall back into. Those things that we've become comfortable with that are the known. Thanks for listening online with us. We trust you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. If you have a prayer request or an encouraging story about what God has been doing in your life, please email us at amen at wcmc.ca. God bless.